Hey, Aaron. Hey, Pete. Don't you dare. Peter, do you think our intro is bad to this? <laughs> I think that you can't it doesn't matter. necessarily come up with a great intro overnight. But I think it's been many, many nights since I mean, we've done this. Yeah, this is our fifth episode. It's a year and a half in the making. <laughs> that is amazing, though, that we literally recorded our first two episodes, and then we were like, a year and a half later, we edited them, and we're like, this is still a good idea. People yeah, let's keep doing do this. this. And yeah, we've gotten some. We, this is our first episode that we've recorded since posting the first two. So that that was exciting. People seem to enjoy it. Uh, based on the listener count, slightly less than the amount of people that enjoy We Love to Watch, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> this is just a fun thing for Peter and I uh, to do. So uh, yeah, this is this is Don't You Dare. This is a podcast where the the co-hosts of We Love to Watch. The movie podcast rotate daring each other to experience some piece of art uh, that the other one has not experienced. And we talk about it a little bit and get a reaction of whether why it was recommended, what the reaction to the dare e uh, to the piece of art that was recommended, and then whether they would pay it forward, whether it was a, a good dare, was the person is glad they experienced something that they hadn't before, or... If they want to tell that person to go fuck themselves because it was wasting their hours of day when there's so many things to watch and do. And Peter, this week, you have dared me. Why don't you tell me uh, what you picked and why you wanted me to give it a try? This week, I dared you to do a comic book, which was the fir- a first on the show. Uh, so when we started doing the show, the goal was to try and stick away from movies unless it's something we definitely do not think we would do on the show. So Pete's dragon fit because we already got one Pete. I'm we already got one watch. Pete, and you, I was dragging ass watching the movie. I wanted to get a comic book in there because, as somebody who came to comic books late, and Aaron doesn't really like comic books or he hasn't read a lot of them. Let's let's get into that in a sec. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But Aaron doesn't have a, a great history with them. I came to them late, uh, so I don't read a lot of the comic books that uh, the normal people do. And I like reading a lot. Snoopy. Of Garfield, Otter side comics and horror. High comics. and Lois. Is it, do you like High or do you like Lois? <laughs> Tell me three of each of their personality traits. <laughs> one, one Sunday I like High. Next Sunday I like Lois. It's it's a toss up. So it, it is just occurring to me that it's a that's a pun on High and Low. Yeah, it's just it, occurring it must to be me a right now of the Akira Kurosawa movie. Yeah, I assume they were going to call it High and Medium. Um, and then low, and it was going to be a kind of a pansexual polyamorous relationship, but they decided that would actually be fun to read. Yeah. yeah. Just ran sprinting away from it. Instead, they, they probably, no, I don't remember exactly, but probably a ne'er-do-well husband and a wife who's got everything pretty put together. <laughs> um, so as somebody who came to comics late, I was very enticed by the idea of trying to forcibly make Aaron read the comics that I love because I think that Aaron and I have very similar interests. Uh, generally in music, contemporary music, I guess I should say. Yeah, let's, um, we're going to talk about that next episode on, quite on a movies, bit. <laughs> uh, and I feel like comics as a visual medium fits right into 
into that, but I wanted to make him read something a little weirder, a little stranger, and something that, especially as it goes on, um, doesn't feel anything like a superhero comic, doesn't feel anything like a detective comic. So I picked Zero, which is a spy thriller, a spy comic ostensibly, and then it goes yeah. somewhere way weirder. Um, so w- It'd be something you at least would be familiar with at first, the, the tropes okay. of, and then I wanted you to be uh, surprised when it sort of took took flight and did something different. Yeah. The series is called Zero. It's by a Czech-American author named Alice Cut. Every single issue of its 18 issues is illustrated by a different person. Uh, the colorist... That uh, answers one of my questions. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know that um, yes. because I was like, it's very hard to keep track of who's who from issue to issue. But go, yeah. go ahead. Go on. It is, it is a little difficult, but uh, I think it serves a higher purpose and we'll get into that later. But uh, Alice Cott is a uh, he's a very interesting author. He wrote for Marvel and he wrote for, you know, DC, wrote a James Bond comic at some point. Like he's he's kind of done the more traditional comics, but he's also done more of these subversive, incredibly dark uh, comics and Zero is sort of the, the his emergence as a creative voice and I wanted Aaron to read An Emergency which is the first five issues collected together because I feel like it's riffing off of stuff Aaron is already kind of into but it goes places that I think would be a little shocking for him as somebody who might I think I think comics have a specific sort of uh, set of expectations for people that don't read a lot of them and this one is very subversive yeah uh so and i i did read an emergency so I, before i get into that i do want to back up a little my history co- with comics so essentially like they just weren't really allowed in my house so i, I read a couple back in i think like seventh grade i read i lent uh i borrowed from a friend who had a ton of comics like the infinity war saga like there was like gauntlet war and then another one i'm forgetting and I, I read all those and I really loved them, even though I didn't know who half the characters were. Um, and, and then I got in a phase like in like I think like eighth grade where I started to buy like issue ones. Like they would reboot a Superman comic with an issue one and I'd buy it. Or I think uh, there was a Nightwing one. And my my issues came and then I kind of didn't keep up with it because of the first of my two issues, which I would get very impatient with the story. And I, I am impressed with people who – are like reading these essentially like three to five minute comics and then like, okay, well, I guess I'll wait till next month or two months from now to see like the next tiny section of the story. Like that, I have trouble with that. I, I have trouble with that too. I don't really read comics. I read graphic novels because I like being able to be like, this is the whole story right here. It's tough. And I, I applaud people that can, but even like TV shows, like I'm fine waiting a week for the next episode, but even that's tough sometimes. And like an episode is usually like a complete story or a progression. Like the idea that I could wait, you know, two months to get like a little sliver of like some side dialogue or some context or something like that would be like, oh, okay. I, I just don't know how people keep up with it. I don't know how it retains in your head enough to follow a story. So that that part was a problem for me then. It's still probably why I'm not going to jump in. Although I will say some of these like intriguing like, hey, you can read basically every Marvel thing ever and you can just read them all through. Like that is at least appealing to me or like collections and graphic novels because I have read the Watchmen stuff. I have uh, read a couple one offs um, like Kingdom Come and the killing joke in the last like 10 years but the other thing is that even reading those 
I feel like comics is a very specific medium and it's a language I never learned. Uh, in the same way, like when you're listening to music, if it's a genre you've never heard before, it sounds weird. You need to get used to it. If it's a, if you're not used to like narrative television and that has its own rhythms, you have to get used to movies. I mean, even though we're all kind of used to it, like it's so funny. My daughter, who's four, is like getting used to the three act structure. <laughs> she's kind of figuring it out because like she'll ask does this person get saved or whatever in the movie we're watching and I'll go yeah she goes at the end and I'm like yeah at the end really and intuitive go, because and she'll like, and she'll go why do they always wait for the end like so she is like she's understanding that these movies are following formula and she's kind of in a w- weird way getting frustrated that like I want to see him saved so I can do this other thing. Why do you wait for the end to get give me the happy thing I want? Yeah. Um, which is it's very interesting that that's how she thinks. She's clearly going to have more interesting things to say when she inherits all these podcasts. Um, but <laughs> but like she like she's learning that language and she's kind of figuring it out. And I just never did that with comics. So even like when I read Watchmen, when I read The Killing Joke, like it's not that I didn't understand. It was just... It was hard to visualize, and that was a problem I had reading this as well. There, there are there are parts in this that, like, it will just have no dialogue for four pages, uh, and it's like a fight scene. And I am like, okay, do I just just kind of skim through it quick and see the pictures and move on? Am I supposed to be visualizing it in my head? Um, I feel like there's there's like missing pieces that I'm supposed to into it that I'm not sometimes like so it. There, there's still some of that component of like, I just, I'm not as used to the language as some people who do it all the time of like the visual medium that I feel like is causing me to probably not get a deeper understanding as some other people. And so that's why I haven't really gotten too deep. So having said all that, having set some table, Peter, I read zero. I read issues one through five. And then I said, well, I'm loving the shit out of this. So I've actually read issues one through 14. Oh, nice. So I wanted to wait till the podcast to tell you that. <laughs> That's a good surprise because um, I really well, genuinely wanted you to like this. And I have issues. Um, I'm actually kind of pissed at myself. I didn't order the last. Again, I didn't realize how long these things take. So I got two issues into the first one and was kind of sold by issue two, where it kind of gives the backstory of like how they ended up, uh, how they were like trained for this like psychotic sky spy organization. Mm hmm. And I read those and I'm like, oh, I'm going to need to read more of this. So I'm like, I'm going to issues two and three for now. I'm probably not going to have time to read them before we record. And like, I think like the collection of issues 11 through 14, which are almost exclusively visual, took me like 10 minutes to read last night. And I'm like, fuck, (laughs) I should have just gotten like I ordered volume four too late. It's getting here tomorrow. Um, So this is what I'm proposing. I want to talk about my general feelings. I say when we record next week, a little insider baseball for our we we save spoilers. We don't talk about spoilers of the ending of this because I haven't read it. I'm excited to figure out what happens, but that we kind of save our spoilers and record like a 10 minute spoiler questions discussing the ending and where it all goes next week. And we we put it right when we're done talking on this episode. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love that. I just read I read the first two collections of the four collections today because I was like, I kind of wanted to collection three will take you eight minutes. (laughs) 
I genuinely am pleased because this is like a true success story from uh, the podcast that that you were so into this that you ran screaming ahead of where where I read to. Um, I read the all four books um, three years ago, I think. Uh-huh. So I, I'm refreshing myself on them, in particular the themes and how they specifically manipulate and all that. I well, I, I I love that. That's a success story right there. It is. So I mean, not to skip ahead to the end. But I would definitely recommend this to people. And I would actually say it's a bigger success than that, Peter. Um, I, as you know, bought uh, Uzumaki because of its, like, Lovecraftian stuff, which is uh, – you could probably describe it better than me because I haven't read it. And I kind of forget the specifics of why I bought it besides, like, Bloodborne <laughs> Lovecraft. But it's this graphic novel um, that I've been meaning to read. Like – I was reading this and thinking, oh, I could read that. Like, I think I've, I figured this out enough and then started thinking of like, oh, maybe there's other ones besides just some of the the Batman, Superman st- stories that I should pick up. Like, this actually kind of made me both recognize like how quick I can get through these things so that it's not like this is a commitment to a night where I have limited free time to play my video game or watch a movie or something, but also like something I really enjoyed. Um, I do plan to kind of reread the all three of them before I read the final one because I like I, I didn't know the illustration thing. There, there were some components that I was, like, having trouble following, and I'm not even sure I have a great handle of the story up to this point. It but is the, rather confusing. You are not – that is not a failure of you, uh, you as a new reader to comics. It does have a lot of themes going on, a lot of – specific weird plot mo- movements that are going on and I think I get like 75%. That right is now. that's really good, I would say. Um and but like I am just so into it. I'm like god, I got to I got to figure out what happens next. Like I was disappointed how quickly I got through the issues last night. Um and I'm really excited for what, for tomorrow when the when the fourth book comes, like it'll probably be the first thing I do once I get the kids to bed. Like, I'm excited to see where it goes and then kind of reread and kind of figure out what I missed or what pieces don't don't quite fit. Like, I definitely am not clear um, what's quite going on in the um, when like, I think it's the end of issue five where uh, what's Strozik? Is that his name? Oh, Zizek. Zizek. Zizek takes uh, Zero to that hangar and there's like looks like a bunch of people frozen in time. And then there's also that guy in like issue 13 who seems to be like turning into a plant or something. Like, I'm not quite clear what's going on with all that stuff. And yeah. also I'm, I'm not quite clear with the, the issue six where the mask guy like I'm not sure when that takes place. The horses like but even that like I wasn't sure what was quite going on when it was supposed to take place. But I like. The the idea of the phase shift was fascinating to me. The story that he tells is really evo- – like it, I was – there's pieces I'm missing, but it's good enough that like I don't care. Like the stuff I am picking up is so engaging yeah. that, that like I'm like, I'll figure that out later. It'll be like a, a movie I go, what was with that ending? <laughs> if the if the I, what I will say about it is that like all good mysteries, a it's not going to deliver in its final act. It is not going to deliver a very like 
literal satisfying ending where our hero defeats all the bad guys and well thankfully i'm not quite sure what the mystery is so i'm not i'm not too worried about it being like it's not like lost where they've like here's the 10 mysteries and you're like good you better answer those what they're just friends yes yes (laughs) the the mystery is what's the deal with the fungus what is edward's uh continuing journey what is up with all these multiverses why do they keep talking about um See, they haven't really done too much. Mul- I'm not. I'm not quite changing, clear on the multi. Why do they keep stuff. talking about phase shifts and people evolving and changing forms and their spirit, their spiritual consciousness traveling on? Like, there's, there's all these sort of weird elements going on. And by mystery, I more mean in a Twin Peaks: The Return style mystery. Yeah, where. Um, it definitely the- just gives a picture of the universe that it portrays because it, it takes place in the quote unquote future, but like the world that it gives a sense of it it gives a little taste of like what's going on that world that you see makes a sense as to why there would be a agency this fucked up that zero's a part of Mm -hmm. like the two match well enough yes so jumping back a little bit this is essentially essentially us as you know it is a spy story that as it goes on it is about uh edward zero's uh journey of self-discovery and a journey of figuring out um as somebody who was raised from birth essentially to be emotionless a spy killer yeah what does that mean for man's role in the world what does that mean for like what is the nature of war is war actually an eternal inevitability of humanity or is it something that that people elect to do and, and, and can that can that part of us that drives us towards violence be driven out? Um, and and the fact that it's a comic book series that is ostensibly starts as almost like a Metal Gear Solid's like sort of like. Yeah, you mentioned the first issue really grabbed you. And I, the first issue didn't grab me that much, actually. I was uh, and some of it is, again, it was my first comic. I probably I think the last one I read was Kingdom Come, which may have been like mm-hmm. uh, five, six years ago. So the first one. It may just be some of the visual language stuff where I'm like, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Uh, it's just a long fight between a metal man and I don't like, I, <laughs> like I, I, you know, very universal soldier where it's like two pe- two soldiers tearing the shit out of each other. And our character is sort of on the periphery of it. Yeah. And then, um, by the way, speaking of that, it was genius with a different artist to eventually take Zero's eye. And like issue three or four, so that I could always tell who he was. I'm like, well, it doesn't look like him from last week, but yes. he has no eye. That must be him still. I don't know why they're changing up the art style, but now it makes all the sense in the world. But I've I've avoided reading about it because I haven't got to the end, so I don't yes. want it spoiled. But anyways, so the reason um, issue one, but it was issue two, was because yeah. a the art style and b because at no point in issue one, oh, this ostensibly is someone's welcome to the series. At no point in issue one do they go like. Um, but at least I'm I'm doing the right thing. Issue one is a cold, brutal story, and then at the end of it, you get a flicker of this killer's humanity, and then it just ends. He does more murder off, uh, you know, off uh, off frame, and then it just ends. And it was like, well, wait, where the fuck? 
where the fuck is this going if the first issue is entirely just a cold person who has such a distance from humanity and he just has a flicker of it when he sees a dying child like what this can't be a series it can't they can't just make a series about just this guy who's just detached from humanity and then immediately in in number two they change the art style so radically it goes from this scratchy sort of um uh, sort of very sharp line drawing uh, image of him as a zero as an adult performing a mission to this next one that almost looks like Disney or, yeah. or, or Miyazaki. It's very, it's capturing him as a child. Yeah. So it was definitely two that drew me in where it goes back, uh, tells his um, relationship with Mina, uh, yes. which is, which is much shorter lived than I ever would have anticipated based on the setup. Um, but, uh, although it, it definitely still reverberates through the later issues that I'm on right now. Uh, but like that story of this idea of like living with this family and then getting to know these kids and then, okay, time to go. Like you have to kill them now. And then when he hesitates, someone else kills them and there's like a, no, don't worry. That's like, that's what happens every time. Um, it like was so much more brutal than the spy genres that they portray in movies. Even when they're trying to do, like, we're hard-ass spies, they don't really show, like, a teenager killing children as, like, this is your this is your hard-ass spy. Or, and hard-ass is probably a bad word for this, but, like, a true, like, emotionalist killing machine that I was, I was pretty sucked into. This is different. Like, this is different than what I've seen before. Uh, in the genre, which I guess was your point in uh, recommending it because it was familiar but darker. Um, and then, of course, when they expand out the universe in episode or uh, issue three with teleporting and like some weird phase shifting stuff and um, Mina getting her arm cut off in a teleporter machine, like it was like, okay, now the universe is getting really weird too. So it really. The first issue was kind of slid off my back, but by two and three, I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to read this to the end. Cool. Because, yeah, because I, I uh, the different art styles I could see being very uh, d- daunting because all art is a language, right? Movies are a language. Music is a language. And it's uh, largely our enjoyment of it depends on whether or not we can interpret that language or find something novel in the fact that there's a there's a distance between us and and that that particular form and so changing illustrators every issue can be a little jarring but if you treat each one as its own little unit it is a different chunk in zero's life that he's he's using to to tell a story of how he got to this point where a young boy uh is has a gun to the back of his head he has ostensibly caused an end of the world type scenario uh if you if you're at that point, you're like, okay, I want to know everything we can about this dude. Like, what what uh, what got us here? What are these stories that that created him? And then each story really helps not only create him as a human being with with fucking rough edges. Like they they do not do the thing that a lot of hitman stories do, where they're like. He's a nice, you know. He's a he's a yeah. man, but you know he's a nice guy. He's just being manipulated. They do the like he he has he has boundaries. Like there's things he won't do. Yes, 
and it's it's charming in a way that you're like okay you're showing us this inhumanity to man kind of thing for a reason and that's because at some point in the story he will break out of this this cycle of violence in some way but what what the fuck does that mean how does he break out was him breaking out of the cycle of violence even worse than him just staying a fucking hitman and ending in an, with an ignominious death in an alley somewhere like what is what does the what does fracturing his story and telling us this fractured narrative actually mean? And, and that's part of the mystery, too. Like, why are you telling us these chunks of his life if, if it doesn't matter? Yeah. the the And the most confused I was by that chunk was from issue six to seven, where he's all of a sudden in Iceland with a girlfriend. I'm like, who's this supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, there's... um, But there's, thankfully, there's a, it, does, it does go back to explain, like... Um, but it is jarring. Um, I do feel like from a recommendation standpoint in a medium that I have almost no recent experience with, I feel like you kind of made me play on ex- like difficult mode, like hard mode very quickly because <laughs> there's a lot of components in this that was like not as easy to get under my belt. Like I, you haven't you haven't refreshed it yet or gone back to it yet, but like – I think issue 13 is just a long f- fight with the teleporter guy. Oh, really? Okay. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, oh, like how long am I supposed to look at these pictures? Like, I get it. They're fighting. They're very nice to look at. Like, but I'm like, do comic book fans go, okay, yep, fighting. It's okay. Now he's got his arm. Okay. Now, like, I understand what it's representing. It's like, you know, like storyboards and motion picture and you're seeing how the fight's happening. But like whatever that thing where I'm supposed to then visualize the motion in my head isn't clicking in right now. Maybe it will if I read more comics. But like there there were those moments that I'm like, okay, great. That took me 30 seconds to read. I, I get it. They fought and now he's dead. And I think his jaw's so, broken. So the I would say that reading a comic book is similar to when you're reading romantic literature or... Oh, uh, all the time. Or... Um, you know, something uh, not like high and uh, lowest, something that really revels in the description of details like, uh, you know, or like a pre-modern sort of, of literature or like a Rebecca or something, because you're you, they're describing all these details to you. And it is and, and, and you immediately understand, hey, they're talking about a rose in Rebecca. They're talking about a rose. You, you spend as much time staring at the image as you do internalizing the description of the rose. Like, once you understand she's talking about a rose, you can probably skip that paragraph. But do you sit and revel in how she describes the petals and whatever? So it's, it's similar with a comic book. You can watch – if you read the panel and you understand what's going on, you've gotten the literal information, but are you sort of like sitting and sort of reveling in the details for as long as you need to? And then you move on when you feel like it's a good time to move on. It's the fun part about them. Yeah, that's a great analogy because I do understand one and I don't quite have the skills for the second one yet. Like when I'm reading literature or just anything that's descriptive, you're right. I could go like, I get it. He's describing a cloud. Like, and I can move on, but I'm reading and I'm picturing the cloud as it's being written in my head. The equivalent of like turning pictures into that sort of same thing is not a skill I have, clearly. Um, But hopefully if I read more comic books, I'll start to be able to do the same thing. Again, it is – it's a little interesting to me from a like an academic point about like how much I – 
one thing makes complete sense to me. Like, of course you read every word and you visualize it and you have a feeling waft over you. And then like reading issue 13 or whatever it was, it's like, okay, punch, kick, move. <laughs> like it just that same like skill or uh, instinct just didn't kick in. And I was like trying to force it too. And so I, that's that's a great description. I'll try to think about it that way. But I am a little worried that like maybe I don't have that. Don't the point is don't be worried. The point is that if you're sitting and taking in the details and you get the literal information, that's the first step, right? Once you get like some emotional feel for it, you'll sit and stare at that image as long as you want to. I have I read a lot yeah. of Hellboy, and I re, I've been reading these library bindings, which are like I okay. So imagine your copy of Zero. Imagine three or four the, the you know from the extra from the corner imagine an extra three or four inches of of page yeah so those hellboy collections are have huge pages like they fill your whole lap mm-hmm. and a lot and hellboy doesn't talk much and the witches talk the goblins talk whatever i will sit and just stare at this shit that mike mignola and his illustrators and his colorists have come up with for like 30 seconds on some page but if i'm reading an, uh, an action scene i might be like like flipping really fast because i want to find out what happens to fucking hellboy yeah so like it's a it's a it's a confidence thing i think and some of it maybe right now i'm so absorbed into the plot i want to know what happens next yes so i i'm not really soaking in some of the stuff if it was less plot heavy or and also sometimes it's like the way the art style is drawn it is a little confusing when you have like what i assume are like two wrists close up to indicate a punch is coming like i don't know what that picture means <laughs> like there's, like there's a couple i looked at that i'm like i i understand this is in a series of 12 pictures on this page i have no idea what this picture and this picture is like the yeah. rest are fists i get it so i think that's that's a little bit uh part of it too so i just think have confidence if you're if you're soaking in an image and you're having a you're reading it the book isn't making you... Should I be licking them is what I'm yes. saying? Ultimately, should I be smelling them and licking them? These are all uh, scratch and sniff, right? You open the pages and you rub the book against your butt if you really like it. Um, It'd be weird if all comics by law had to be scratch and sniff. They're like, okay, well, in this one, zero, issue three, <laughs> what do dead children smell like? It would smell it's fucking the, awful. It would, it'd be one of the worst smelling... Uh, comics of all time. And then the only other mild complaint I have is it like, it's, and this is maybe, it sometimes has like too edgy by half dialogue, especially sexual dialogue that like feels like a 15 year old who's like, what would be the, the edgiest sex thing I could say right now? Yeah. Um, that is kind of like, it's, it's what I associate with the worst of like, comic books just in my head you know yeah like it's so that that happens a couple times that is the that is the one the one uh okay so it's not just me it, it's a hereditary sort of um what's the term like a what do you call like a bad gene it's like a hereditary uh i think you call it a bad gene it's also what i call the guy at my work who cannot make copies <laughs> Bad, bad gene. gene. It's a hereditary sort of like bad gene that got passed down from the um, the edification of comics in the 90s. So like that's why Preacher is both really great still to read. Like it's still really fun. But then you hit a dialogue section and you're like, 
Yeah, you really had to say retard three times in one panel. That was really that was really edgy and cool of you. Uh, I will say yes, Zizek for some reason in zero. Um, Zizek says cunt and well, it's not even that. It's like even the sex scenes are like someone saying like corny porn dialogue that is so like oh. Are you 15? Have you never heard people? <laughs> it's just like, get it wet for me. And like, but it's, it's it's even worse than that. Like that, I guess you could make, you know, into some sort of like, I don't know. It's really bad. It's I, like, I, I think so it like, it, it made yeah. me cringe a couple times. Like, ooh, this is like if 15 year old me had to write a sex scene yeah. and not really, and like only understanding like weird band stuff and like pornography I had witnessed. It was, it's, there's, there's some embarrassing moments in it. So, you know, the movie, The Kingsman, or I guess the movies, The Kingsman, and you know, Kick Ass? Uh, yeah, that's directed by it's not directed, but written by some guy that a lot of people dislike from Mark Millar. Yeah. yeah, he's he's written some good stuff, but it's mostly edge lord bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I don't even hate Kick Ass the movie or I, the first I think Kingsman. the first one is okay. I do not like the first Kingsman movie, but I like the direction. But all the story and dialogue is frustrating to me. Yeah, so those that is Mark Millar is somebody who. Uh, was was somewhat part of the edgified 90s and then he never broke out of it um that is that is like you get like what's his six degree of separation from spawn (laughs) (laughs) i don't think he's ever done spawn but i feel like he'd be fucking perfect for if he saw todd mcfarlane that's my that's my because i was alive in the 90s so that's kind of why comics were banned for me you oh know? well yeah you that know? makes sense um so saving you from bed and i had friends who had spawn and all that kind of stuff like and i would look at their covers but I, like it's not like i said at my friend's house and read comics i guess we were usually playing or doing some other stuff but that's i mean that kind of like now all comics are edgy is why i basically wasn't allowed to buy comics when i was interested in them um so so i do know todd mcfarlane obviously i've seen the movie spawn so that's that but that was like the epitome of like it was so cool and edgy and I wasn't allowed to have it, which made it that much more cool and edgy. Yeah. So, so yeah, if you could measure Mark Miller in number of Todd McFarlane's, that would be helpful to me. Yeah. Uh, Mark Miller is somehow nine times Todd McFarlane. The okay. wanted. So have you ever seen the movie wanted? Yeah. It's not that good. Uh, I, I'm a pretty big fan of it in terms of its style. Yeah. Um, agreed. So, so all all these movies it? are well done. So did you see it? And did you think like, Holy shit! This needed like a lot more rape. Uh, I, I don't. Well, in fairness, I don't think that about anything ever. Yeah. Well, wanted and in Kick Ass and multiple Mark Millar works. There's just like wall to wall rape for no fucking reason. And what I love about Zero is that so though occasionally like you know they misstep and uh, venture into Edgelord territory. Um, the there's like. The way that they treat sexual violence is actually really uh, thought through. So uh, there's a chapter that discusses the uh, Bosnian, the threat in the Balkans. There's a panel that literally all it says in the panel is 20,000 to 50,000 women in the Balkans uh, are estimated to have been sexually assaulted. The, the panel comes after uh, a book that is talking about a specific character uh, that... Um, 
was they tried to the, a certain character tried to get her out of this specific situation and failed and she was caught swept up in the circle of violence she cannot escape that circle of violence that was that was happening and i love that the book at no point has a sex scene in that brothel it at no point has a, yeah. a, a like um a scene of you know the quote-unquote merchandise being shown off it was just focused on the emotional struggle that these two characters were going through and what it means for the character of zero so i i love i think that while this this book has touches on some edgelord stuff it uh yeah it's not that it's not it's it's, it's not even at times as well it is and actually like i said I don't even think it's Edgelord in the offensive way for most for most of it. Like I don't there wasn't much that was like, oh, this is bullshit and why did they have to put this in? It was more just the embarrassing I don't know how to talk about people having sex. <laughs> Which so is fair. that's Anyway, yes. I just wanted to so let's, let's I wanted to get into that. I but yeah, I, I just wanted to I'm very pleased that you enjoyed this collection so much and nothing we should have said this earlier. I don't think anything that we talked about today should be considered a spoiler because I think pitching this as a spy yeah thing is just going to make people that are really into straightforward spy stories disappointed. Yeah, it's I think we described that. So, let's do this. So, Right after I'm done saying this, you're going to hear a little bit of a break. Um, it's going to be one week in the future. Peter and I are going to talk 10, 15 minutes about the plot, the resolution, some more questions I may have because I, I am trying to avoid them as much as possible because I don't. I am I am really intrigued. Even if it is a Twin Peaksy ending, I'm close enough to it. I think I have three issues in the last collection that like I don't even want to know the weird ending. So there's going to be a break right here. You're going to hear us uh, one week in the future uh, finishing. Uh, the discussion. Now, now's the actual break. <laughs> hey, Peter. It's one week in the future. One week in the future? How'd we do that? Well, a little thing called the standard passage of time. <laughs> Where do you come up with this stuff? Oh, it's in the science books. Uh, so, yeah. Anyways, let's do a quick 20-minute... Oh. At least half. Um, let's do a quick 20-minute segment on what the last week has been like for us. I think our audience will like that. Uh, <laughs> let's really take the audience from Don't You Dare, which is already lower than we love to watch, just down to fucking nothing. Yeah. Um, we need to punish those that have still remained on uh, so that we can form a, a pressurized diamond of a person, and then we'll be producing the show for that one person. Punish. 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 What movie did we do where someone just kept muttering punish? Sound was that Night, Silent Daily Night, Night 2, Daily Night? goes punish. Yeah. Or it's Silent Night, Daily Night 1, yeah. It goes punish. Yeah, because I, yeah, I haven't seen the second one yet. Um, All right, anyway, so yeah. Too. Yeah, so anyways, uh, yeah, I finished Zero. Uh, actually, right before recording this, because I, I wanted to be kind of fresh. Uh, so I held off for a week. And yeah, t- it takes a turn in book <laughs> it 15. It does. Uh, and what's funny is that so I you had dared me to to read the first book. I was so into the first book. I mentioned I bought uh, books two and three, and the only reason I delayed buying book four is the reviews for book four on Amazon are terrible. Um, and like 
And so I'm like, it has like two stars compared to the other uh, threes, like five. And I'm like, oh, maybe I won't even bother with those books, not quite realizing what I was getting into with all the comic book stuff. And then obviously, as I started reading all of um, two and three, I'm like, well, I got to see how this ends. And I bought it late, which is why we're doing this recording of kind of the plot now. Um, I loved it. I did too. I mean, of course, uh, you know, I I can understand why certain people wouldn't like it, but I am such a fan of up your ass multiverse David Lynchian stuff that like and it directly references David Lynch. Yeah, it, it mentions the Black Lodge. Yeah, I love um, that. Yeah, I do too. You know, I I could watch the thirty minute ending of two thousand one like on a loop for a day. Like I like that <laughs> stuff. I really do. Yes, uh, I like walking away from something. And go not sure I understood any any of that to the internet. Um, <laughs> Or just like, that was a good sensory experience. Maybe I need to see that later. Or uh, I don't know exactly what literally happened, but emotionally I feel satisfied. So I'll I'll give you – so we didn't really go into too deep the plot recap, but I guess to kind of go through it, obviously the first 14 issues are about Zero – who we talked about. He's a secret agent. He's been brainwashed and he is kind of – it kind of goes through moments of his life where he where these things happen spy stuff he gets betrayed by the agency he finds an ally he meets a woman he retires for a little bit the woman ends up to be a double agent blah 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 the end of the last issue that i had read when we previously recorded there was and there was all these hints of this fungus before um he meets someone who's like a fungus person um, I think I mentioned that last week where I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's up with the fungus person. Uh, and then – so that's – and that's the end of issue 14. And he's at his breaking point. Uh, and this whole framing device has been someone pointing a gun to his head in 2038 when he's an old man and telling him the story. So if I was to tell you the story the next four issues, it's him learning that this fungus is like a seeding property of a – alien entity or force that exists within the multiverse and um, a bunch of different things happen. So in some in the universe that we've been reading for these books, Zero is a secret agent who uh, was born of a Bosnian mother and uh, his mother died when his father, who had previously been raping her, tried to escape and stuff like that. In another universe, which we're getting a bunch of glimpse of, uh, uh, William S. Burroughs is writing this the story through a drug trip and like they all kind of exist and ultimately the goal of the fungus and of the story is to remove the black heart of man, specifically man, which is like all the evil they do, the wars they cause, that's kind of been generating zero stuff and like the next four issues are him figuring out a way to reach himself inside himself and kind of have redemption for himself and in some ways the human species as a whole by finally getting rid of like the blackness or the black heart of man or uh that stuff so that's kind of my sense and the end he does and he kind of ascends and there's a lot of weird imagery where it almost feels like you're uh getting a sense of different lives he wants to lead or maybe the life that he chose at the end of all this within a certain uh yeah, universe in the multiverse. That's my sense. Yeah, it's uh, what's happening on a literal level is is hard to suss out, but what's happening on a emotional level is I think pretty clear, and that's what saves this from being some sort of weird jerk offy like I didn't want to give you your typical ending, man, kind of thing. Because emotionally, what you're watching is something you've seen a lot of times before. 
an old spy, an old cowboy, an old killer, basically, who's looking back on their life, all the sins that they've committed, all the evil that they've committed, and they're reflecting on, was it worth it? Let me work it. I want to put my thing down, flip it, and reverse it in time. And he... <laughs> oh, he flips it right through the multiverse. Yeah, yeah. It never stops reversing. But it, 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 you've seen this story a hundred times in Gran Torino and Unforgiven and even recently in the Wolverine movie. Like, uh, I think John Wayne made a few movies like this, like True Grit. Arnold Schwarzenegger made a movie like this, uh, Sabotage, which is a movie I like and no one else likes. Well, he can't stand it. <laughs> Could have planned it. Uh, wait, have you seen Sabotage? It's the movie about Watergate, right? Uh, no. But he can't stop rocking till he... Never mind. <laughs> I'm going to no. set the straight... This Watergate. Yeah. The, he's setting straight Watergate. Yeah, oh, no. I'm sorry. That's the, that's the post. Yeah. Got it. Thanks. Yeah. But the uh, we've seen these, these before. And what I love about this is it basically takes that story... Um, it tells it very compellingly. It's a man looking back in his life, all the harm he's he's caused. But instead of usually these movies end with the guy performing an act of violence to try and redeem their past violence. And this is basically saying you can't redeem all the horrific things you've done by just killing more. The previous uh, collection, collection three, is him performing, him trying to set things straight. Him saving the life of a junior assassin who's trying to kill him. Him yeah. going back to the agency. And then he's forced But he's still to- killing people. Yes. Brutally so. I, uh, some of the things I referenced last week where it's like they have like a whole comic that's just a brutal fight. It makes more sense in the contrast that they were trying to show. Which is like he was trying to emphasize the brutality that his redemption was taking or his attempted redemption was taking. Yeah. Yes. And just cause he saved those kids in from the agency and let them free. Does it mean a, those kids are safe. Those kids are all trained killers. Like, and they're just set out in the world. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's broken the cycle and B he's still as damaged and fucked up as before. The black thing still has its claws in him, which in the, in the book is pictured as a sort of black spider near your heart. Yep. And in this, they actually managed to break the cycle by uh, confession and through through catharsis and self-realization. And all of that is so much more um, convincing, I would say, than, you know, even movies I love, like all the ones I just mentioned. I like most of those movies, but an old killer kills again to try and redeem himself is not exactly... Uh, <laughs> it's not exactly like the most compelling argument against violence right well and those movies almost make a case that like that two negatives equal a positive right and i think that's what a lot of our fiction especially when it comes to violence related fiction is that um it almost looks at it at violence as a math equation like when i started the violence i opened up a pandora's box and the only way to put it back in the box is to do another violence and that those two things cancel each other out and the violence is, is gone, uh, which is obviously not the case in the real world. Like uh, yes, violence yes. for the Like you, you can't cause less violence or stop the violence or stop the cycle of violence by killing more. You've just added more violence. Um, and there's, you know, each person who dies through a level of violence is, you know, it's a spider web that affects everyone. I don't know if that's the, why it's a spider in the middle it did occur to me yeah um but because like blackness 
uh, is a web that you know gets its gets its string in it and and everything. So it you know it um, I I do think that that is such a common trope that we're all just used to. We're used to violence solves violence. Yeah, and and there's movie and that's why I think like Munich. I think in twenty years will be Spielberg's like most enduring movie from this era, the new adult era. Yeah, because Munich is an entire movie that's like. Yeah, feels pretty good to get your revenge at first. At first. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually like a deconstruction of like why this doesn't this this does not reset the karmic scales. That's not how this happens. Um, well, and I think there I think there's a lot of movies now too or fiction that really is looking at that and saying, you know, like the violence that the protagonist perpetrates um, even as even even in redemption, is it he like the the protagonist himself is unsaved. Like yeah. he can set something right or prevent some other damage from coming to people, but like there's no redemption for for our protagonist. Yeah, the book talks about nuance in a way that's interesting. Like in this debate that it's having with the with. Uh, the world essentially um it's it's not really even having it with zero it's teaching zero a lesson about the the state of the world it says things like war is just in the nature of of man and man must always fight war the things that zero was taught as a as a young assassin and it's saying that's just the way the black thing perpetrates itself the black thing needs its hosts and it needs to jump from host to host to live it always kills its hosts and the way it, it, it transmits that disease is through thought and through that kind of violent fascist thought that we kind of all we always need to be at this this perpetual state of war. Um, and it's it's an amazing that a book that starts with like this like universal soldier style fight where people are just like these two human meat bags are just taking each other apart ends with I think one of the most interesting statements on pacifism and the nature of violence that I've ever seen in any genre work. And I totally get why it pissed off some people that were like, well, no, we, we wanted to see him like, I don't know, chopping wood in Iceland or something. <laughs> we wanted to see the Dexter ending or something. Like, I don't know what people wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they almost give you that. Like, if you didn't know there were more issues coming, which I'm assuming you did, is that there is that point where he's almost like retired. He's a cook. In Iceland, yeah. living with a girl, you know, in a lot of, and that's after like, I think like 10 or 11 issues. So in a lot of, with like heartbreak and pain and death and violence and escape. And I agree, like there, that would in a lot of stories be a very natural ending. And then where it goes from there, um, that's when it gets super violent. And then to kind of the redemptive stuff going on. So, or not, or redemption of, of the the character across the multiverse yeah and it, and it starts off the book all of it starts off with this really compelling idea that um he's going to confess what happened in his life he's going to tell you um what led him to what he believes released this fungus that killed billions of people and uh then as the book goes on you start to realize that the his son who he has failed and the entire the entire book is full of failed fathers um yeah i mean at one point like superimposed on each other yes zizek failed uh zero zero failed his son william burroughs failed his son which we should get to the burroughs stuff in a minute um 
because it's so important to what this is. And it's probably why so many people were actually mad at this because it, it, it sort of did the um, David Lynch uh, uh, Twin Peaks, the return thing where everyone wanted to see Agent Cooper and then you get Dougie instead. Um, you get a totally different character and then you realize that he's like going after something different. Um, yep. Um, but it, yeah, it's funny that, and I, I read some of the, um, I read some of the examination of this that you sent me from that AV club crosstalk. It's very long. long. No, it was helpful though. It was was interesting to read. Um, Even though the discussion about which artist did the best issue was completely lost on me, but um, it's so funny because that reading that from, it's from 2015. So like they're talking about like Twin Peaks as a television show and concepts, a lot of stuff like that. And it was like, Oh, you future Oliver Sava and whoever the other person was, uh, you guys are going to get to see the new Twin Peaks and like how how fun that would have been for the like it's it's so funny to hear a conversation in the past that uh, has so much uh, relation to something that the writers didn't know was going to happen very shortly in the future. Yeah, it, it is really fascinating, and um, the new Twin Peaks is even more about this idea of this sort of cosmic struggle between good and evil, but extrapolated from what at the beginning of this whole journey just looked like a genre work. It just looked like a spy thriller and Twin Peaks just looked like a um, murdered girl, you know, little mystery. And then it ends up being about so much more than Laura Palmer. It ends up being so much more about um, more than, you know, Edward Zero and Mina. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's quickly talk about the the William Burroughs stuff. So how familiar are you with Burroughs's life story? Uh, I mean enough to know that like Joan was his wife that he killed with the William Tell stuff in a drug haze. Yeah, he was drunk as shit in Mexico. Yeah. He shot his his wife Joan Volmer, which one yeah. thing I really love uh, to note here. One thing I really love, Alice Ma- Alice Cott, the author. He sets up entire pages that are just there so you remember Joan Vollmer's name because people don't remember Joan Vollmer. They just remember William Burroughs' wife that he killed in the William Tell game. They remember William yeah. Burroughs and they remember William Tell. <laughs> um, yeah, and he he puts her name, like, all over every page. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's nice to see Alice Cott be aware of how we idolize men of violence and basically saying, like, no... I need you to remember the victims here. The victims are so crucially important. The end of the book is dedicated to um, William Burroughs Jr. and uh, and Joan Vollmer. So William S. Uh, Burroughs Jr. was William Burroughs' son. And there's a panel earlier on where William Burroughs apologizes to his son. And there's a panel where it's just, it's just pre, it's showing off all the shitty dads that were, you know, afraid to take command of their children's lives and really like shape them into the men they, they needed to be. They ran away from, from, uh, from what being a good father is. And yeah, William Burroughs, um, his son was, um, deeply affected by the death of his mother it sounds like william burroughs more or less just abandoned uh his son to uh his you know the boy's grandparents more or less and when he tried to you know pull the son into his life uh william burroughs was deep deep in his junkie haze and his alcoholism and he was surrounded by like 
creepy dudes that tried to sexually assault William Burroughs Jr. and William Burroughs' depression and his homesickness and all that got so, so much worse, just completely lost for the world. And then William Burroughs gave up on him again. And William Burroughs Jr. died at, I think, like 33 of cirrhosis of the liver. He got a liver transplant, stopped taking his liver, um, the liver, you know, the anti-rejection pills. Yeah. And just kept drinking, and they found him basically like close to death in a ditch in Florida. And the guy just like drank himself to death at 33. So William Burroughs lost his son years and years and years before he died. Um, and uh, Alice Cott is not using that to uh, exploit the the tragedy of his death or or Joan Volmer's de- death. He's using that to highlight how violent men and uh, irresponsible men uh, follow the path of the black thing and ignore the true life in front of them and and don't take command of their fatherhood and don't take command of of the the, the victims of their uh, their rages. And uh, I think that's really fascinating, I will say. I I think that um, as somebody who really likes works to stand on their own, I do find it a little annoying how little of that is in the text. Like there's very little, and there's I mean I guess they do in a magazine article about yeah they Burroughs. well they have a whole newspaper clipping yeah that has the whole Walmart's story death. yeah yeah and they even show like a little like representation of it hap- like right before it happens like so you can you can pick up on that but I also think like if you're tracking the the plot of the failed fathers and the sins of the past sins of the fathers thing like you're gonna be a little confused when uh, Ginsburg and Burroughs are talking about there uh his dead son or you know his son and then all of a sudden burroughs is talking about his son in the in the past tense it's it, it might just be confusing for people that don't know burroughs's story yeah well and i didn't i mean i knew it a little bit um but i i actually think like it, it didn't the jones stuff and i didn't even catch the uh william tell frame until i saw it later in an article i was reading about it uh where they talked about it so I think that the newspaper article kind of fills in all the gaps that I needed to know right about the time I needed to know them in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so for myself, knowing it in passing and not even really understanding the reference before they laid it out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that story. Um, I think it worked actually really well. OK, well, that's good. So I, 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 was, I, so I, I, I could the, see uh, if, if you knew the story really well, I could see you thinking it's too vague. But I really do think for someone who only knew it in passing. Mm-hmm. The newspaper clipping sheds all the light that um, that you need right about the time you probably need to know it because it's it's two issues into this stuff. Yeah. And one last thing about Burroughs, I think, or one more thing about Burroughs is um, there's there's the discussion of the cut up. He keeps talking about the cut up. And you know what Burroughs did with a lot of his works? I don't know if he did it for all of them, but he he would chop up chunks of text and then move them around on, a, on the table, and then he would form, like, the, the text of chapters of Naked Lunch as that. So he would just free write all this crazy shit and then move it around to try and form, like, something out of that. Or sometimes it was just random. And I think that's interesting because it's uh, it kind of speaks to the rest of the, of the series, where... It, the series is like these chapters kind of out of order, seemingly, or with little regard to time and place. Um, especially the last book has little regard for time and place. And uh, it's just it's just a kind of cute thing. It makes you also realize that like he had this William Burroughs riff in mind the whole time. Yeah, uh, for 
Sure. But yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting book. I'm glad that you you uh, rolled with the punches. So let's yeah. we should just hear ourselves do the wrap up, Peter. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. I'm glad you rolled with the punches because it's um it's something that I definitely think I, I don't call people stupid for not liking the ending. Uh, I don't think Ryan likes the ending of it. Maybe he needs to read it. Oh, again. Maybe he'll right. like it. If you're listening, you're so stupid. So stupid. Um, yeah. No, but I don't. I don't think I'm stupid for just. But again, I mean, again, movies. Amazon reviewers do not like the ending they, either. They and did not. and obviously, I mean, they like the first 14 issues, and there's a lot of challenging, interesting stuff. I get it. Like anytime you do an ending that is. It, Maybe even if the seeds are planted, there's something else weird going on. Like, it's it's any ending. Any ending that's a weird mystery is going to get people that love it and they get hated. The people are going to love it because every mystery everyone tries to solve or think of endings, especially I'm assuming if you read this over a 18-week or 18-month period uh, for when the issues were actually getting released, like, you are going to, you know, be struck with something. I, I I've noticed with Lost... Like, Lost is a really good example of a mystery show, I think, with a terrible ending. Mm -hmm. But I've noticed that I am harsher on it as someone who watched this show over six years than people who I know, including my wife, who have binged and caught up with it uh, on Netflix. Like, there is something about um, in a condensed version, you don't have as much time to get in all the mysteries and go on the internet and, you know, brainstorm and brainstorm and, like, ponder them for for a long period of time. You're just like, I'm going to watch all the shows as quickly as possible and then I'll get my answers. Yeah, I don't have to go talk about this on a message board. Up every single... Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, so I do think that, you know, uh, mysteries always have a chance of the audience rejecting the ending uh, and the longer they go on, the more likely that is whether the ending is you would personally consider it good or bad because there's going to be someone else who had a different expectation of what that ending uh, was going to be. So uh, and I think anytime it's such a dramatic uh, shift from the tone and the expectations, you're going to have that much more of a divided reaction. So, you know, the response doesn't surprise me. And I don't. Um. I don't begrudge anyone who goes, this is not what I signed up for, and this is not the components I was interested in. I just, like I said, always will have a weak spot for Lynchian uh, crazy bullshit, I guess. I don't mean that insulting, but like I, that's yeah. a good way it's a good way to describe it, um, I think. You thought you wanted, you thought you wanted this, and uh, I did. Yeah, just get really fucking weird, yeah. Because <laughs> that's you're great. not the creator of this work. This is actually what the piece is. So anyways, uh, you'll hear our wrap-up. Let's go back to the Aaron and Peter of one week ago. Great. That was us talking about the plot. I hope we were as eloquent and uh, not tired, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, but thank you so much. Yeah, this has been a rousing success. I, again, it not just interested me in continuing the series, which I've done and will finish up here uh, next week, but also uh, it's like, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to read some of these other – like, it feels like you actually, like, gave a little uh, – what are those? The the paddles. You paddled my comic uh, heart back to life. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, and not just in, like, recognizing, like, oh, it's not that big of a time commitment. I could do some of these things I've been interested in. But, like, there's ne – it's never been easier to – 
pursue some of these like uh, comic series that I've been interested in or been like, man, I, I wish I could get into that. So this has been a rousing success. I would absolutely pay it forward. And now, Peter, as is our format, I have a dare uh, for you for next week. What is it? It is. So we've done a couple albums uh, and we're going to do another one. This one is another album that I loved when I was about the same age. Uh, but I, this I one. I love this running theme that we're just doing. We're doing like a nostalgia check on music. It's It's been fun so far. I, so I want to talk about more in next episode because I do find that very interesting. And I want to talk about why. But this one's a little different where. Um, Smash Mouth was like something I was aware of and I liked and felt embarrassed of pretty quickly after, but like really liked it for a short period of time and was very funny. Now, this actually album that like was extremely important to me was like really like a, like a personal, like something that I kind of grasped onto in a, in a very weird way. Uh, so it's one I haven't revisited, um, for a very long time, but was an album that, uh, meant a lot to me. But it's it might be it might be very embarrassing. I, I have a feeling next week is going to be the most embarrassing version, or next episode, I should say, is going to be the most embarrassed I'm ever going to be on this podcast because I'm going to be talking about feelings and perspectives of a 14 year old listening to the music of Third Eye Blind. I want you to listen to Third Eye Blind's debut album, also called Third Eye Blind. Fucking millennials. See you next week. Hold on. Hold on. Third Eye Blind? Third Eye Blind. Yeah. As in... In in Zero, Edward Zero has a second eye blind. Yeah, this is the sequel to Zero. Does that mean that my challenge has to be fourth eye blind and retaliation? Yeah, it's a a numeral-based podcast now. (laughs) Good night. Good night. When all the numbers swim together And all the shadows settle When doors forced open shut again A fly trap and a petal My eyes burn and claws rush to fill them And in the morning after the night I fall in love with the light It is so clear I realize That here at last I have my eyes Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs) 